ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This year there's been a lot of headlines about youth crime spikes in regional towns across the country. Unfortunately, a lot of the time it's young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people caught up in the trouble. And some say it's a direct result of failed policy, like cutting funding to family services and grassroots Aboriginal voices being ignored. What we want to know is if a voice to parliament would help improve access to those services and would it help tackle youth crime? Hi, I'm Carly Williams. I'm a Kwandamooka woman and the ABC's National Indigenous Correspondent, joining you from Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. And I'm Frank Kelly, joining you too with Carly on Gadigal land. And this is The Voice Referendum Explained. Carly, you've been in and out of Alice Springs over the last few years and, and there's been a lot of focus on law and order there, particularly at the start of this year there was a bit of a, a youth summer crime spree and there was wider alcohol fuel violence. I think a question a lot of people are asking in the run-up to this referendum about The Voice is what would The Voice do? How would it fix some of these problems? So if we apply that question to Alice Springs, how would The Voice fix youth crime in Alice Springs. What do you reckon? Well, there are already a lot of programs in and around in Barnto Alice Springs that are trying really hard to fix the issues with the youth there. Just outside of Alice is the small Aboriginal community of Amungana. There's about 200 people in the area, but there's no sporting clubs. There's no playgrounds. There is not a lot to do there. And I spoke to local Aranda teenager Leroy Dixon earlier this year, and he said to me, like many other communities, they are struggling with issues in town stemming from entrenched disadvantage? Mostly it's just fighting a lot, yeah. Um, alcohol, drinking, smokers too. I don't know, it's just, it's just silly how they're going on in town, running amok, and that, it just, it just makes people who've got nothing to do with that put them in a bad, you know? And, like, those who don't break in and that, it's sort of, they can blame for nothing. So Leroy is part of this Amungana youth program. What does it actually do? So it's run by the McDonald Regional Council, but it's led by local Aranda leaders at the local recreational hall. There are after-school activities, everyone can get a feed there, and they also go on on-country excursions like to the local swimming hole. I was coming here since I was small. How old? Uh, probably six or seven, about there. After school, yep. get a feed or like talk me what, what would you do? I'd just come here, do sports, maybe had a little bit of feed and just stick around and help out and then go home. So those involved with the Amungana program told me that at the time, anecdotally, they'd seen instances of vandalism come right down when the program is in full swing, but it only gets short-term funding, you know, which can put the whole thing at risk. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that story a lot. You know, over the years as a journalist doing interviews around the country with Indigenous programs that are, that are working 
for, for young kids in particular that are really getting good results. And then we hear on the grapevine the program's been cut because the funding's been cut. You know, sometimes if they're lucky, a bit of media attention on that can get their funding restored, but that's really ad hoc. The problem seems to be again and again this lack of certainty, government certainty and focus on programs that are actually working. So in this episode, we're going to speak to two First Nations people that work with First Nations kids, but they have two very different views on The Voice. I am voting yes because I know all too well on the ground where I work with on the whole face of the community that their voices have to be heard. No. Like, in all honesty, I've, I've made up my mind and, and I can be a stubborn man when I want to be. We really don't have enough information about what this particular voice to parliament will be able to do. So there you have it. That's a yes. Yes, and a no. <laughs> and a no from two First Nations people that work with First Nations kids. So let's start with Ian Brown. He's a Wariwari man from the Gomoroi Nation, born and bred in Moree in northern New South Wales. And what Ian's been helping devise is the Moree Aboriginal Leadership Program, and it's supported by Just Reinvest. Yeah, so Just Reinvest, for so everyone understands, is, is a it's a terrific model that was devised in the town of Burke and the whole point of it, basically, it's a grassroots model. It brought everyone in the town together, the youth, the leaders, the business people, the police and all the services to address the causes of crime rather than waiting for the kids to offend or the adults, anyone, to offend and end up in prison. So the stats for success from this in Burke are quite outstanding. Police say that uh, they reported a 72% downturn in youth crime in Burke over the last Christmas holidays. That's in comparison to the year before. I mean, that's an incredible success rate, really. Yeah, they were doing well. And Ian says a lot of the work they're focusing on in Moree down the road is making departments talk to each other, different departments talking to community leaders. So it's about getting, say, the Justice Department to speak to the Health Department and, you know, community services. So they can all be on the same page and they're listening to information coming from the Aboriginal leaders who are working with the kids and then they can put that into action. It sounds kind of technical, but this sort of cooperation between departments is vital. Otherwise, kids can sleep through the cracks. In any kind of situation, whether you're talking about service delivery or if you're just talking about relationships in general, if there is no communication and honest and transparent and inclusive communication occurring within those respective spaces, then the relationships are going to break down and the outcomes that we're hoping to achieve aren't going to be as fruitful as, as one would hope. So that's a Moree model, Fran, and something needs to change for sure because in New South Wales on any given night, more than 50% of the kids locked in their cells are Indigenous. That's an incredible statistic. And that's despite them making up just 7% of the youth population in the state. So Ian Brown says the Moree model can work because it's Moree people making decisions for what's best for the Moree community. I did partner with Just Reinvest Maury and my aunt Gwenda Stanley to be able to run a cultural camp up at uh, Copeton Dam over the June long weekend, which was great because we was able to interact with the young people and actually hear what they want to see uh, within our community, what, what activities would actually mean most to them. And the, I guess the real focus that we want to take within this Maury Aboriginal Leadership Group is to actually lean into the knowledge that we have within community and that's inclusive of the young people too. 
Yeah, and youth programs are not one size fits all across regional towns and different mobs and nations. Like on my family's country, Minjuriba, North Stradbroke Island, off Brizzy, the youth social justice program there over the school holidays takes kids out to gather quampies and yuguris. Kelly, what's quampies? Oh, they're gorgeous little shellfish with pearls in, and then they cook them on the beach afterwards, and that helps kids stay connected and, and feel belonging. And it's really working for them because. The point is it's local people on the ground deciding what's best for them and leading their own initiatives. So, again, it's local. It's local solutions. That's what Ian's arguing for, but he's voting no. Yeah, Carly, I thought The Voice was all about local solutions, local voices being heard. I spoke to Cheryl Kikataka. We heard from her at the start of the app. She's voting yes because she hopes The Voice will listen to and allow, guess what, local solutions. For us, it, hopefully it's going to make our work a little bit easier that we don't have to consistently prove ourselves over and over and over again. We can actually say, well, hang on a minute, we'll go and get our community together. Here's their voice. You can listen to it directly, not through a second or third channel. Cheryl's the head of an organisation called Koya, which operates on the ground in Perth in Swan, which has the largest Indigenous population there in WA. She's also a former basketballer and she uses sport to get disengaged kids back into the community and back on track. Sport's a great uh, an instigator of getting kids into a community that have been outside the community or haven't participated in school or have financial issues or mental health issues or so much trauma they just can't get out of bed. So we generally tackle the families and kids who really struggle, you know, to, to have a life, I guess. And she says it's really working that their programs are really getting great results. I can tell you firsthand because I've, I'm a basketball coach as well uh, and I've been coaching girls, senior girls, for a long time. And I can tell you now the girls that I coached, you know, for the last seven-odd years, um, they are now 18 and every single one of those girls have a job. So that just shows you what's needed. You know, teaching kids to look at themselves with a different lens and not become the pigeonhole that they get when they do go to schools or in their in community or they see in the mass media. But you've got to challenge that vision out there of what people think they are. Once that happens, I mean, anything's possible. So Cheryl's an optimist. She's hopeful that a voice will make programs like hers easier, more effective and permanent. Well, Ian isn't convinced. He, I should say this is his uh, view, his personal view. It's not the view of Just Reinvest, but Ian thinks the voice is going to be a bit of a double up on what already exists. The key word that I keep coming back to with is advice. You know, the, the voice comes with an undertone that that's all it's only ever going to be, advice. There is no you know, requirement of government to actually be able to respond to the advice or uh, any powers for the voice to actually encourage the Australian government to actually adhere or respond to the advice being provided. You know, so we only got to look at the update on, on the Closing the Gap report released this year. Some of the statistical gaps essentially are widening. And that's not because we don't have passionate and caring Aboriginal and First Nation communities involved in different advisory mechanisms. It actually falls back onto the reluctancy of those within a position of power not actually being willing to be responsive to those calls from communities. Like I say, though, Cheryl is an optimist and she's also arguing that something needs to change to get governments to listen and back Indigenous programs. We can't keep doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different response. I mean, that's the definition of crazy. 
are you expecting that the voice would change the way programs have longevity and have ongoing funds, for instance? I really hope so, Fran, because the issue for me, again, if we go back to the Closing the Gap initiative, you know, a lot of those issues are a result of decades and decades of generational challenges, generational issues. But unfortunately, groups like ours get 12 months, two years funding. And so if you ask me, is a generational issue, it needs generational funding. And we need that thinking at all levels of government. And I know that the people that will go onto these committees they live by this stuff. They know it, you know. So hopefully it'll trickle through to all of the departments uh, once the voice is established that we actually have to change the system because it's not working. So this takes us back to what we were hearing in Imbantua, Alice Springs. The organisation is saying if they cannot get generational funding, then how can they make generational change? Yeah, that's the question. And while Ian and Cheryl have different views on the voice, one's voting yes, one's voting no, they actually both agree that Indigenous voices need to be not just listened to, but they need to be heard. You know what they say, Carly, the only poll that counts is election day, or in this case, referendum day. That's when you get to make up your mind. And referendums are hard in this country. We've had they 40, really hard. 44 in Australia and only eight have made it over the line. So next week we're going to take a closer look at these referendums, why they won and why they failed. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe so you never miss an episode of this podcast, which is called The Voice Referendum Explained. You can find it on the ABC Listen app or we film it too, so you can search for it on iView. See you, Carly. See you, Fran. Thank you.